Lord Father, I sit here this morning uh, with a spirit of thankfulness and just um, so thankful for everything it took just to be able to have this opportunity, Lord. I'm just thankful, Lord, and thank you for this beautiful opportunity and just have your way in all of our hearts because that's your desire for us this morning. And we just, uh, I pray for a special covering for Ed, just have your way through him, to him, through him this morning. In your precious name, amen. Amen and amen. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mike, for, for that beautiful prayer. Well, this morning we want to share from great portion of scripture. It's the book of Job. There's a reason why over the centuries and even within the last hundred years that so many under the influence of Satan who tried to get rid of the book of Job because there's lessons in the book of Job that, that we can learn and glean from where no one else, nowhere else in the scriptures can we learn that way. And so when we look at this book of Job and we see everything that he went through, we see the very beginning and what we can learn about this is we, we as believers, the church, we can glean from this and understand what our position is, our very position, and also the experience. Now, so many times we have seen and we said recently that it seems like God instigated this whole thing, like he was behind all of this, when really he knew, he knew what Satan was going to do with Job even before Satan knew it. He just brought it out. And of course, the only reason he brought it out was to deal in Job and to separate in him, in his experience, what was not of his position in Christ. And this is something that God is continuing to do with us in 2 Peter 3.18 as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, because we know that the grace of God has appeared unto all and, and teaching us, and this is Titus 2.11 and 12, teaching us to deny all ungodliness all ungodliness. And that's what he's teaching us. And that's what he had to, in principle, as we look back, that's what he had to teach Job. So God, God initiates what Satan had already planned on doing with Job. And this, of course, has to do with our spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4, 5, and 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. So we see here, what, what we first see is we see that Job, as far as God's testimony, this is God's testimony about Job in the very face and the very sight of Satan. And this is what he said. 
In verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, the sons of God here are angels. So when you see sons of God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they are angels. The angelic host, which was created all at once simply because they don't procreate, according to Matthew 22 and verse 30. So we see here, there was a day that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. They were going to get these angels, these elect angels, the unfallen ones, not the ones in Revelations 12 and verse 4 that Satan took, and remember, in his fall, in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, in the 15th verse, in Isaiah 14, 7 to 17, he took a third of the stars of heaven. He took a third of an innumerable host of angels. But here, when it says, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, those are his, his elect angels, unfallen, that were to do his will. We see this brought out, you can see it brought out in Ezekiel, the uh, first 10 chapters. We also see it in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, between uh, the cherubims and the seraphims. But here, it says, to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan came also. He came also, and the Hebrew says, and, and literally the, the Hebrew says, the adversary came. That's what his name is, the adversary, Satan. And so the, he, he also came among them. In the midst of them, he appears. And the Lord said unto Satan, where did you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And he is not doing any less right now. He is not doing any less right now. For us that are in Christ, our position is safe, but there is an innumerable, evil, malignant force that are constantly watching us, looking for opportunities to get us out of a proper experience and the proper image in Christ. And so he said, from going from going to and, and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And then the Lord said, and this is his testimony about Job, based upon the righteousness that God had made his through Jesus Christ, who had not yet come, but the sacrifices that he knew looked forward to him coming. And then he said, the Lord, the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And of course he considered him. That there is none like him in the earth. He is a complete and upright man, one that fears of reverences God with awe and hates evil. He hates evil. Then Satan said unto the Lord, well, he doesn't fear you. He doesn't love you. And that's the accuser. In Revelations 12 and verse 10, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, us that are in Christ today as a church right now. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses us, you don't love God. 
because if you did, you wouldn't do this. He's the accuser. And so Satan said that he doesn't, he, he fears you for not nothing. The only reason he fears you is, is that you and, and, and loves you and shows you love is because you put a hedge around him and you bless the socks off of him. You gave him every kind of blessing. That's why he loves you. He doesn't love you for who you are. He loves you for what he can get from you and what you have given him. And so, that's what he said in verse 10. Have you not made a hedge about him? This protective hedge, the love of God, about his house and about all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands. That's something we should always remember. That it is God himself that blesses the work of our hands. That gives us the ability to do it. Whether we recognize him or not, whether we forget him or not, he blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to his face, to your face. And the Lord said, Satan, behold, all that he has is, is what? Is in your power. It is in your hand. It is in your hand. So who touched him? Only upon himself put forth not your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then we see the series of things that happen to Job. One thing we must remember is that positionally, God considered Job to be complete and upright based upon the fact that he had reverence for God, for his word, for his will, for his way. He had it. And then we see in a series of things, and one thing we need to remember, that the book of Job and everything that he went through was approximately nine months. There's an approximation towards that, about nine months. And what we see here is what God is, is allowing, allowing Satan to do the evil. He's allowing Satan to do it. Yes, he allows it. But the evil is not from God. It's not something that God is using. He allowed the enemy to do it. For what purpose? What was the purpose? And even still, when all of these series of things happened to him, it says in verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, his robe, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. Oh, boy. Imagine that, going through all of that, all that loss, and what does he do? He falls down, and he worships. He doesn't complain, not yet. He doesn't murmur in Philippians 2 and verse 14, or dispute, argue with God about what he's in, what God has allowed in his life, he doesn't argue, he does not dispute, he doesn't ask doubting questions uh, based upon confusion and uh, merging human thought under the enemy with God's pure thought. No wonder it says that the pure, all things are pure. 
uh, in Titus 1 and verse 15, but those that have a defiled conscience, and we, we can have one experientially based upon a lie, but positionally, we are pure in Christ, meaning as far as God sees us in his son. You see, he had to bring Job to that place where God saw him in his son and only in his son, but Job did not see it fully. We don't yet see it fully. Not yet, but we're on our way. We're on our way through suffering, righteous suffering. We're on our way. We're on our way to glory in Colossians 1 and verse 27. So he fell down in worship and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked will I return there. The Lord gave, of course, this always speaks of grace. None of us, not one angel, never mind man or anyone, don't deserve a single thing. Grace is always what God gives, of course, and gave us his son in John 1 and verse 14. And he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this. Job sinned not, nor, nor did he what? Attribute what? Folly, foolishness to God. Didn't attribute it to him. Then we see him another series. Satan's get, he's bringing out his full art, artillery now against, against Job. And, and really it was against the confession of God Almighty that he's against, Satan. And once again, once again, there was a day when the sons of God, this is Job 2, verse 1, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan said again, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. Now here it's clear. Satan cannot be omnipresent because he's not God, but he has a vast, invisible army that submit to him. And through that army, this is the, con- this is the conflict that we are in in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. And that's how he goes to and fro, up and down in the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? And what he's saying is, in terms of fallen, ruined mankind, is there anyone like him? And God said there wasn't anyone like him in fallen, ruined mankind, but there wasn't any like him in the earth. A complete and upright man, one that reverences in awe God and hates evil, and still he holds fast his integrity. Of course, the integrity of of God in him, you can see that. Again, in Psalm 26, verse 11, and down through. And so we see this here. He holds his integrity. And although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause, to destroy him. And Satan answered, the Lord and said, skin for skin. Here we go. 
skin for skin, all that a man has will he give for his life. Oh boy, if Christ is not our all, in Colossians 3.11, if he isn't everything, if he's not the treasure in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4.7, then what is our life? It's called skin for skin. Mankind will do everything apart from Christ, apart from God, to do everything to keep himself alive and, hit, and to keep suffering out of his physical body. He will do every single thing that he can, skin for skin. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but you cannot touch his life. You know, the enemy can do everything he can to come against us, but he cannot touch the life of Christ that's in us. We said the other day, and many have said far before me, and if you ever want to know, if you ever want to know what truly intense suffering is, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And if you and I think we suffer, <laughs> we should read that. And though they could burn their bodies at the stake, when it says in 1 John 5 and verse 18, the wicked one touches us not, that's our eternal life. And he may burn our bodies at the stake. And all he's doing is releasing us in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7, to depart from this physical body and enter into his presence face to face. You see, he cannot touch the eternal life that's ours in Christ Jesus. He may take away so many different things, and God may allow it. He may allow it. He may, to bring in the goodness of himself. Well, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said, okay, he's in your hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job sore with sore boils from the sole of his foot, even unto his crown. Listen, this is what this is bringing out here. Isaiah 1, 5 and 6 says the whole head, the whole head of the unsaved person and the flesh that's in the believer that they're not, in Romans 8, 9, there is no soundness in it whatsoever. There is absolutely no soundness in it. No. From the sole of the foot to the top of the head and vice versa, there's no soundness in it. It's putrefying sores. All kinds of poison, all kinds of poison proceeding from the mind of man. And this is what this is typifying here. From the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took a piece of uh, pottery to scrape himself with, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, well, do you still retain your integrity? You still, I mean, you're still going to trust God? You're going to trust him that he loves you when he did all of this? Well, who did it all? Was God the evil of the source? Who was using it? Who was allowing it? Well, he said unto her, you speak as one of the fools. He still was seeing his life in Christ because 
his wife in, in, the, in, in Christ, seeing her in God still, when he said that to her, because he said, you're as one. You're not, you're not one, but you are as one. What? Will we receive good at the hand of God, and will we not receive evil? Do we receive evil at God's hands? Who's the source of all evil? Is there any evil in God? Why would he say in Psalm 97, verse 10, are you that love hate evil? Because God hates it. You see, God hates sin. In Psalm 51, in verse 4, sin is evil. And thank God that God has dealt with it, with us, with Christ on Calvary, when he died for us and died as us and paid for all of our sins. Positionally, this is true. But now he has to work that in, into us, into us. He has to work it in. He has to speak it into us. It has to penetrate. Christ, the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has to penetrate in these areas where the experience is still, what? Boils, putrefying sores, Isaiah 1, 5 and 6. The thought of ruined man poisoned under the enemy, questioning God, doubting God, attributing evil to God, and saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this? Why? Well, because for us to do it righteously, suffering righteously, is our portion in Christ in Philippians 1, 27, 28, and 29. It is our portion in Colossians 1 and verse 24. It's all measured by God in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. And we're to be like him. And while we're on this earth, we are to pass through and on our way, suffering, but on our way to glory. On our way to glory. Well, he said, you speak as one as one of the women, one of the foolish ones. You attribute all their thoughts of evil and to Satan and attribute it to God. You speak as one. Will we not receive good? at the hand of God, and not receive evil. In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Now here. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil, this evil, that was come upon him, they came, everyone from his place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the, the Naamanathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. His grief, his affliction was so great that all they could do was sit there and not say a word, and only if they kept that way. You know, we've said and we've been taught, what is the next best thing to wisdom? It's called silence. Why it says in Psalm 46, and you can read verse 1 right up to 10, and see, he's still, he's still, and know that I'm God. Be quiet in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. And Isaiah 30 and verse 15. Quietness and confidence will be your strength. And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And Isaiah 32 and verse 15. And so we see here, we see here again, 
He didn't. But then his three friends showed up. And then they lifted up their eyes, in Job 2, verse 12, and knew him not. He was so disfigured. They lifted up their voice and wept. They rent everyone's mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days, completion, seven nights. None spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Well, after this, opened Job his mouth, and what did he do? He cursed his day. He cursed his day. And Job spoke and said, let the day perish wherein I was born. Oh, have you ever thought that? In the midst of your trials and circumstances and situations, have any of us ever thought that way? Oh, the day, the, let the day perish when I was born, and the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let light shine upon it. We see this all the way through. We see it all the way through. It's very interesting here. From the moment that we see Job's three friends begin to open up, you never hear here, Satan again. He's out of the picture, but he's invisible and he's functioning through his three friends. You don't hear a word about him. And then you hear his three friends and they begin to mix thoughts under the enemy with the thoughts of God and begin to tell Job and to teach him like a lot of false teaching today is, see, because, because you're righteous, and because you live in sin, God is going to punish you. He's going to send evil upon you. Don't we know and understand what righteous suffering is? What, what, a, what a, a, a promotion and a badge it truly is. Well, God had to show Job, really. Because we see here, way back again, in the first chapter, we see it way back here. We see, very early, he said, he, he rose up early and said, and he, remember, positionally, he was perfectly and completely righteous as far as God saw him. But did he see himself that way? No. He got up early to present a sacrifice for his children but he forgot himself because he was still living. And we see this by the time we get to Job 32, 1 and 2, where Elihu, the younger, who is a type of Christ, as God was speaking in and through him as a type, began to speak unto him. And we see what that is brought out. And we will bring that out and read those verses as we begin to close. But in forgetting himself, and this can happen so easily, when a husband forgets himself, he can forget his wife who is one so easily. He can make his children the whole focus of his life and forget God himself, and in doing so, forget his wife. 
You know, Christ is our life. Thank God we have children. Thank God we have, we have husbands and wives. But let me say this and make it very, very clear as God would make it clear to each and every single one of us. And he had to teach Job this, and he's still teaching us this. Yes, you and I are positioned in Christ. But to go back to the flesh, there's no soundness in it in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart, the mind of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, God doesn't know us in those things. But we certainly, under the influence of the enemy, not touching our position, sin can't do that in 1 John 5, 18, but he can touch our experience. And he seeks to do that with all of us to get us right back to thinking in the flesh, to quit the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, and then to think that we have some kind of sufficiency outside of Christ in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. You know, our sufficiency is in, is in God himself through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Psalm 73. I want to read Psalm 73. It says this in verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It was too much labor in my eyes until I went into the sanctuary of God, his presence. Psalm 16, 11. Remember, our sanctuary is where we've been placed, and that's Christ. That's where God dwells. In Zephaniah 3, and verse 17, he rests in the, in the love that his son is, and that's where we rest in Colossians 1, and verse 13. He said, the psalmist said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. When I look at the world, Oh boy, look at the world. They, they seem to be so happy. They seem to be so carefree. They have so much. It, they, they just seem to be this way. And here I am suffering. Here I am suffering. Where are you, oh God? When will this end? Oh Lord, when will it end? Comparing ourselves with the world. The godless, hateful, world system under the power of the enemy who lulls them to sleep and then instantly can be instantly bring them into eternal destruction. Thank God we're so safe. Well, I understood their end. In verse 18, surely you did set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. How were they brought into desolation? Oh, Jesus would speak to, to the Jews constantly who rejected him. John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own outright rejected him. It's not that they didn't know that he was from God. They knew he was from God, but he didn't add up to their choice, so they outright rejected him. They rejected him. Well, he had to cry, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, how I would have gathered you under my wings like, like the mother hen does to the chicks. But you would not. You would not in Matthew 23, 37, 38, and 39. You know why? Now your house is left desolate. It's left desolate. And you won't 
praise me and sing out until you see me come. And this is Revelations 1 and verse 7. Behold, he comes with the clouds. The clouds there, there are a multitude of angels and all of us, all of the Old Testament saints, all the church of Christ that we are, we all come back and so many that block out the sun. That's what clouds mean. And every eye will see him and they which also pierced him. Pierced him, the Jews giving him over and all, obviously, we all had a part in that. He was pierced through because of our sins. If you want to know what our precious Savior went through with his true love for us without an speck of evil in it, we can see that and you can read it with me in Isaiah 50 and verse 6 and in Isaiah 52 and verse 14. And we can see that clearly, what he, what he went through. This was all even prior to the cross. And then on the cross, what he went through in Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Well, how were they brought to desolation in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. Oh, there's no terror for us if we think with him. There's no terror. God's not terrifying us. He's purifying us in 1 Peter 1, 7. The trial of our faith is more precious than gold. In Job 23, in verse 10, it's far more precious. So the pure, all things are pure in Christ. Seeing everything for what it truly is in the reality of who Christ is. Well, he said in verse 20 in Psalm 73, as a dream when one awakes, the whole world system dreams. They have this utopia. The world is going to be a better place. I want to, I, I want to make this clear. And I am very thankful for my for this country that I am in. But make no mistake about it. God's plan is not to make America great again. That's politics. Things that have to do with the earth, not heavenly. No. Nope. He's bringing out the reality, the manifestation and revelation of the greatness of God manifested through his son. During millennial reign on the earth. That's when the earth is going to be great again. Then ultimately, still dealing with things in Revelations, the 20th chapter, until finally we see Revelations 21, 1 and 3, where everything becomes one. And then we enter into the eternity of the eternities in Isaiah 20, in, in, in Revelations 22, verses 1 through 11. It's a dream. The world is dreaming. He causes. He tries to put the world system to sleep and dream a dream where it's going to be better. Everything is going to be better. You can use, you can use God, and if he won't bless you, you can get it yourself, and that will be your success. Well, they are utterly consumed with terrors, and that's what the enemy wants to bring them to. Oh, thank God. There's no fear in love. No, because as he is in 1 John 4, 17, so are we in this world. And, and love that's completed everything about us is cast out fear because fear has torment, torture, terror. This is what he was doing in Job, but in us in a far deeper and more intimate and greater way than Job could ever have experienced because of us, his church, married to his son as our... Is our bridegroom and we as his bride. 
Well, as a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. You think today in our country, what Satan is teaching people that their image is. Teaching little boys and little girls from the age of four on up. Born to be a male and female. Telling them you're not a male. You're a female. And you're not a female. You're a male. All despising the very image of God in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The enemy. Verse 21 of Psalm uh, Psalm 73 says, Thus my heart, my inner man, was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, and I was as a beast before you, living, living without God. Really, I wrote it here in, in my little Bible, what that verse meant there in Psalm 73, 21. Oh, so foolish and ignorant. I knew not that I was without you, God. I knew not in my circumstances and situations, in my experience, I was thinking and doing something, thinking I could do it without you. And that's what Job had to learn. He had to learn. Well, nevertheless, I am continually with you. His eye constantly on us in Job 36 and verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. You have holden me by your right hand, for Christ is seated positionally, and that's our position in him. And you can start in Psalm 110, verse 1, and there's scores of others that speak about the right hand all the way up until Revelations uh, 1 and verse 20. You've holden me in your right hand in Christ. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to what? Glory. You know, there's an afterward to suffering. There's going to be an eternity. There will be no time. And because of that, when we're in his presence in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, we're facing him. There's going to be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. The former things have passed away. Write these words because they're faithful and true. And he's true and faithful. In Revelation 21, verse 5, in Revelation 22 and verse 6, you will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to the glory. Whom have I in heaven? What is heaven without Christ? Who, who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. And this is where he does this separating, sanctifying process. That's what he had to do with Job. And that's what he's continually doing with us in a most loving, merciful, gracious way. And all the while, while this is going on, we have a high priest who's entered into the very presence of God. And we can come boldly because we can come to one who's passed through things far greater than you and I, and actually paid and felt felt every sin and everything we did that would, that would have been held against us, against God, and dealt with it on Calvary. So he knows we have this high priest in Hebrews 4, 14, 
and and we can come to him because we have a high priest who's been touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. Did we see that? He was touched by them. All the feelings of our infirmities. So we can run to him, flee to, to the throne of, of uh, grace to find mercy right in the nick of time. And he intercedes for us in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. He is ever living as our very life interceding for us. Whom have I in heaven but you? Listen, oh, he has to bring this to us, to this us, to this place, as he brought Job to this very place, as he brought him to this place. And, and what? There is none upon the earth that I desire in place of you. There's not a single one. You can't focus on the family properly unless your focus is Jesus Christ, first and foremost. We live for him. That's who we live for. And thank God in that love that he's given us, we live for each other. In John 13, 34 and 35. My flesh, the flesh, listen, the flesh, the fallen nature, and my heart, even my heart after God. Of course, would my heart be after him if he wasn't after me in his anticipative love and his provenient grace? So my flesh the flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9, that we're not of, and how God doesn't see us, and even as much as he can, as much as he can, we see here, my heart, where he is my treasure, and I'm learning it more and more in Matthew 6, verse 21, my heart fails. We fail. Like God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. 27, for lo, they, they that are far from you will perish experientially. Those that are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all them that go hoarding from you. This, of course, is not us in Christ. It is literally the, the unsaved, but we can function in it experientially in James 4, 1 to 4. Well, what, what is it? But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all his works that Christ has accomplished in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 in me. You follow this all the way through, all the way through to Job. And what he's bringing out in Job's experience. Listen to what it is. Listen to what it is here. First he had to tell him and bring it out in Job the 28th chapter that anywhere that he would look in the material creation of the earth to find rest and comfort, all that would say is it's not in me. When God isn't my thought, when I don't experience him, I go to the earth and material things, and they replace him. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, teaches us about his, his creation to bring us to, chapter, to verse 7, right to the 14th verse of the 19th chapter of Psalms, you see, so that we are delivered from the great transgression, which is presuming that I can have something and do something apart from Christ, who he is in his person and what he's accomplished. He had to teach Job that in 28. And I love this in Job 28. As far as position, 
In Job 28, verse 1, surely there is a vein for the silver. Oh, we're loaded with his redemption. And a place where the gold, those that find the gold can find it. And this is the trials that we're in. And this was the trial of Job, nine months. You think you and I go through some things. And not to minimize it either, by the way. No, Jesus didn't minimize it. He dealt with it on Calvary. He paid for it. He did. He did. And we suffer with him. We'll reign with him in, in 2 Timothy 2.12. But if we deny him he, in our experience because of sin in the flesh, we, he can't fellowship with us. And in that sense, he has to deny us, but it doesn't change his love for us. Nothing can change that because Christ has completed it. So there is a vein for the silver and the gold. Iron discipleship is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. We see his feet were as brass suffering and brought out in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Which, I mean, in Revelations 1, 14 and 15. He sets an end to darkness and searches out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. All the way down, listen, here in verse 7, there is a path. There is a path, and we're on that path. And Jesus is in us and with us through the Holy Spirit, leading us through this path that is lit up with his presence in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. And there is a path which no foul, Satan and his demonic army, that no foul knows and which the vulture's eye, and you know what a vulture does, it feeds on death, and boy, how the enemy wants to feed on us through our separation from Christ. And this is what Job was experiencing. He didn't even know it yet. The vulture's eye has not seen. And then he brings it out, all that creation about what he had. The material things, how the material things of this earth cannot replace Jesus Christ. And it's still the same today. Because apart from him, all it will reveal is these putrefying sores in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6 and bring out a deceitful and desperately wicked mind. Heart there in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, is laid, L-E-D, it's mind, under the influence of the enemy. Then we get into Job 29. Now he starts thinking back to when the days were beautiful in his life, when he prospered. And if you look at it, you look at it. I counted it, and maybe you can count it with me. I could have missed some. Some 43 times, 43 times here in Job 29, it is I, me, myself, his whole focus through his trial, is on himself. His whole thing. You look at it. I, my, me, myself, me. You look at those 25 verses. And in 25 verses, some 43 times, it's all about himself. I don't, you don't hear a thing about Christ. You see? Do you see that there? Well, look. And by the time we get, we get, here, for us, we get to Romans, the seventh chapter. We look at Romans, the seventh chapter. Look what it says. How many times do we see I, me, myself? You see, the mind is on self. 
The mind is on self, my pain, my problem, my bills, my this, my that, this one, that one, this thing. And we magnify it and manifest it. And we want in some way everyone to see it. Again, please take some time out. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, our, our suffering, our suffering has to do with spiritual wickedness in the heights. These wicked, evil thoughts against us. Job's was against his physical body. Ours is against our position in Christ. Which one will we make more of? Our sufferings? Question them? Or make Christ the issue? We need to get our eyes off of the vessel and get them on the treasure that's in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Let's talk about him. When we come together, let's talk about Christ. Let's not talk about all those things. Sometimes, and we do need to pray, and we're not belittling the pain and different sufferings that people go through. We should pray and be one with them in that. But again, look at here in Romans, the seventh chapter. Look at it. Look at it here. It's I, me, and myself. But the only thing, the difference between Job here, 29, and the difference between Romans, the seventh chapter, is this one said what Job never said. And what did he say? He said, I was all of these things. I did all these things. That's what he's saying. It was me that did all these things. Really? Really? Yes, I did all these things. I built this business. I worked hard. In other words, what can we do without him? In John 15, 1 through 5, and why would he even give us today as, as the, the church on this earth right now, why would he give us material things? For ourselves or for God's glory to bless us and for us to be a blessing for others? Or will we hoard it all for ourselves? And every once in a while, give a pittance to remember God and the commands and authority of his love. Well, the only difference was Job never said, oh, wretched man, that I was. He never did. But this one did. He said, oh, wretch, here is Romans 7, 24. And here's thinking with a whole head that's sick in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6, a mind that's deceitful and desperately wicked in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. And it says there in, in, in Jeremiah 32 in verse 15, uh, 30 verse 15, Jeremiah 30, verse 15, it says their wound is incurable. That's the whole physical thing. And thank God for us, it's been crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6. Well, I, me, I, myself, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, he didn't cry out, who will help me in this circumstance and situation? He said, who will deliver me from functioning in this dead body with this dead mind and these dead thoughts, who's going to deliver me? Well, I thank God in verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, 
I myself serve the law of God. What's the law of God? That's Romans 8, 2, and 3, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. But what the law could not do in that it was brought out the weakness of the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning he never had a sin nature, he had a human nature. God finished it and did it all for us through Jesus Christ. And so he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I serve this law, this truth, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And Job was still in the law of sin and self-righteousness until Elihu had to say to him in Job 32, 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job. They didn't have a right answer. They attributed all the evil, not from what Satan was doing, and God allowing it, but they attributed it to God against his servant who was righteous in Christ. Well, so these three men ceased to answer Job. Oh boy, the legalism of the flesh. Answering one another in the flesh. Oh, and calling it fellowship. We do pity one another in terms of praying and being there for each other, but we don't make a pity party of of it through self. Well, these three men cease to answer Job. Oh boy, when the flesh ceases, now God can speak. Here's Elihu, the type. Because he was what? Because he was righteous in his own eyes. And Job was. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram against Job was his wrath kindled. Why? Because he justified himself rather than God. He justified himself rather than God. You know, that's the natural mind. That's what God is separating from us in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. That's that sanctifying, separating process, refining the gold in Job 23 and verse 10, 1 Peter 1, 7. It is that separating, sanctifying process in in John 17 and verse 17. And we can be because Christ himself sanctified himself in John 17 and verse 19. And we have a place now for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to take the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and to show them unto us. Show them unto us. And thank God. You see all the way through here. God had to show him how there was not a single thing good in him but was of God through the sacrifice of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't a thing in him that had anything to do with any good that only God is. But God in his love allowed the enemy to use all that evil so that that And God allowing it would bring Job and bring you and I, and we learn this every circumstance and situation. Oh, here's what we learn. Here's what I learn, and I'll close with this. Here's what I continually learn, that with all the blessing of God's presence, all the investment of other men and women in my life, all that have given me Christ and stored up in my vessel, all the beauty of who Christ is, 
And yet, until this time, I still see that in the flesh dwells no good thing. It's just as rotten and just as corrupt and just as evil and just unchanging as our position in Christ is unchanging. And he has a plan to humble us, to separate us, separate us from that, so that we agree with him in Amos 3.3 and walk with him. In 1 John 2 and verse 6, we walk with him in intimacy of fellowship, right through suffering. And, and uh, we are so thankful to God for his love. He's bringing us through. Where did he bring Job? He brought him, he gave him back, listen, double, listen, double material things on the earth. What do you suppose our position and what our reward is in heaven compared to earthly blessings of Job? It's unbelievable. But he's going to bring it out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. Oh, you suffered with me, and I suffered with you through all of it. And in, on the earth and in time, in Isaiah 45 and verse 3, I was showing you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches in secret places that you may know that I'm the Lord and have an awe and a reverence for that on earth, going through that suffering. And then you're going to be in my presence soon. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And I'm going to bring it out in the depth of intimacy and fellowship. In Revelation 2 and verse 17, you fed on that hidden manna. And when you did, it's eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away in terms of its appearance. In Matthew 24 and 35 and Isaiah 40, verse 8. But my word will not pass away. What my son has accomplished in you, what you received of him by pure grace, and what you walked with him in it and through it while he was interceding for you, never leaving you nor forsaking you, ever, in Hebrews 13 and verse 8. The same yesterday, today, and forever, and in Hebrews 13, 5, never forsaking us, in Joshua 1 and verse 5, never, and teaching us all about his love that drives out that fear. And nothing replaces his love for us that's of any value whatsoever in 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. But then we have that, we feast on that manna now in heaven, in his presence, when we get there. We feast on it, and then he gives us a name and inscribes it upon that white stone, that diamond, that diamond that we are. And he has to cut here and cut there, heat and pressure forming the beauty of Christ in us so that we have that, the fellowship with him all eternity. This life is the blink of an eye. It's the blink of an eye. And then we enter into eternity. And Father, thank you so much for the depth of your love. Thank you, Father. And as you teach me personally and show me two unchangeable things, the flesh that's in us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9 is just as corrupt and evil and unchangeable as it ever was from the day we were born in Psalm 51, 4 and 5, and Psalm 58, verse 3. But yet who we are in Christ is unchangeable, it's immutable, it's perfect, it's complete, it's finished. And your love through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit has accomplished all. Thank you and praise you. Praise you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Lord, with a great awe.
And we do thank you for material blessings, but you far excel and far exceed as far as the heavens are above the earth in Isaiah 55, 8 to 11. Oh, our sovereign Lord is so far above. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And for those that do have some time, we can have some questions or comments. This really uh, is very personal, you know. You know, just as just the lie of like, I think of Philippians 3.19, you know. As far as, as, yeah, like as far as, you know, what we think Christianity is or walk with God is, you know. I just really in myself and in others, I see this like deliverance from this, this feel good like if I'm missing out of the precious intimacy of suffering with him. Well, you know, that was, God had to change. And, and this is why I said this. And I said it because God said, it. I want to make that clear. <laughs> that the flesh in me at 71 years of age, you know, I remember saying, Pastor Stevens in his office, as a new 23-year-old, that was bad and hating it. Hating it. And I said to him, 20, just turned 23. I hate what I do. And you know what? I'm 71 and I still hate and anything that I do outside of Christ. Because it, it just doesn't change. Yeah. But his, his love doesn't change. It does not change. And I find find that his love and submission to his will it is the only thing that gives us rest that we, we try and wrap the material things go ahead Can't. trying to rest in it is going to bring out a form of fear that's what it's going to do yeah. a form of fear and it's going to bring out something that's attached to me and holding me in bondage because Christ it's not placing me experientially. It's not. And, and we're growing, you see. Everything that God is doing in us and through us has already been accomplished. It's already been accomplished. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you. It's not what you end up. It's what God has finished and is doing in and through man to separate us oh, from that flesh. Oh, look, oh, that's the greatest thing that I is that four-letter word. It's E-L-F, self. It's the greatest enemy. Yeah, by far. Not even close. So, Luke, are you, what do, you, do you have any thoughts, Luke? No, that was that was awesome. It's it's interesting you mentioned uh, Philippians two. Um, I was reading Philippians two yesterday, and I love the the last part of verse thirteen in the Amplified, and it's it says God obviously. I mean, you know, if I'm just going to read it for me, God who is effectively at work in you both to will and to work that is strengthening 
energizing and creating in you the longing and ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. It's like, not only does God do the work, he gives me the desire to submit to him and experience him in it. That's awesome. No, it that, is. And I didn't know that the way that you do said it today. <laughs> well, that's what he, that's what he had for me yesterday. And then you sharing in Job, you know, it, it's interesting because for years, I didn't understand the book of Job because I was living under the law. I, I would read the book of Job. And to me, it was reading the story of a guy that checked all the boxes and, and got punished by God. <laughs> and now I read Job. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of God. I read Job now, and it's it's really a love story of God going after Job and loving him. Isn't that just like a 360? Boom. <laughs> Yeah, and so and so God was doing all that evil against Job, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, sure he was. <laughs> God, God was using evil to go after Job. Uh, no, no, no. He allowed it. Yeah. He so loved that, him enough. He loved him enough to allow it. Amen. Because Amen. Because there's a need for that to happen in Job. It was a need. You know, God had a need mm. that he met through Jesus Christ. Or some Philippians 4.19. So God has a need. God himself has a need for his love to dwell in us. Yeah. Oh my. It's true. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah. Figure oh that my. one out. Figure that one out. Yeah. We're, and he's we're, relentless. No, relentless no, in pursuing us. Well, we're learning and we're growing in it a little at a time. Yep. And we will for all eternity, but in eternity, it will never be disturbed or distracted again, but we're still going to be. Yep. God had a need to love him. He had to be propitiated to do it. Had to be. So he had to supply his own son. Who would do that? His only son. Oh my God. Help me. Yeah. No, I tell you. Yeah. God had that design. No, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of whose heart? Yours. His. Oh my His. God. Yes. Yeah. You. You love you, and like you said, Luke, you, Joe, Joe, fine. You love me this much. Yeah. Yeah, how much? Look what his son went through. Isaiah 50, verse 6. Isaiah 52, and 14. Oh my God, when you read and study those in the original languages, the beatings and the torture that he went through. My. Prior to the cross, he didn't look human. He didn't, he didn't look like he had a human form. Prior to the cross, it was love every single step. And every single step to the cross was blood dripping. <laughs> it's just amazing. And when I understand Leviticus 17, 11, and 14. The life of the flesh is in the blood. 
His very life was love for his father and for us. My God. Oh, Lord, I tell you. And that was, that was what Job, that's what he was bringing him to. But even in a greater and higher way for you and I, it's unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. And that, again, that goes into uh, one of these booklets that I'm, I'm finishing up in Revelations 2.17. It's the, it's the hidden manna and the white stone and what those things represent. And what they bring out is just amazing. It's just so incredible. Yeah. But over and over again, he, he's so gracious. And so his love is so patient. Yeah. Back into the flesh I go. Why did I go back there? It's corrupt, evil, filthy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that just brings me. And his love meets us. You know, you see that in, in John 21, you, you look at those uh, first 18 verses in John 21, <laughs> you know, they're out, they're out fishing all night. Well, and they did in Luke, the fifth, fifth chapter, they were out fishing all night without Christ in the nighttime in his absence. And what did they catch? Nothing. They didn't catch a thing. I can see why men through the ages, right, tried to get the book of Job out of the canon of scriptures. How many so-called apologists, even within the hundred years, said it was a fairy tale, wasn't real? Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. We, we can glean so much from that, you know. Big time. Yeah. Well, you want to close this in prayer? Yeah. Would you like me to, sir? Well, I mean, whoever, whoever's led, obviously, you know. Father, uh, yeah, I'm just overwhelmed with the, uh, just the, um, your character, nature, and essence. And I'll continue to be okay with not discovering who you are in my own understanding, but through a proper relationship and humility, just receiving who you are. And we know we've so been learning your loving chastisement brings us to a place where you can fulfill your desire to love us. Yes, that's right. Lord, it just, it's, oh, Lord, who is like you and who, who holds us with the beauty of these thoughts and, um, and, and just a beautiful brokenness of just the thankfulness, Lord, for who you are. And what we get to experience because of it. We just love you this morning. I pray for all my friends. Thank God I have friends that talk about you. And Lord, just bless them all today. You know, very personal way. In your name, amen. 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 All right. Love everyone. Love you, Mike and Luke and all others that were listening. And 
don't know who, but I know I was listening with you and hopefully <laughs> it's lodged in there and I, and I uh, roll myself on it. Yeah, amen. Um, amen. 37 form five. All right. Love you guys. All right. See you. Okay.